You're listening to the Psalm Song Podcast, where we discuss music and its potential to become personally sacred to us. We walk the line between sacred and secular through lyric and rhyme. We discuss what we find in between the lines to rediscover the life that was there the whole time. I'm Drew Wesselhoff, your host, and I'm so happy that we finally arrived at the fourth and final part of season one, Freedom. These are the songs and the artists that inspired and influenced the ones that we've already talked about. These are the artists that have been in this in-between place, between sacred and secular, for decades. And because they have been in this space for quite some time, their music and their lives reflect a certain freedom that we should all strive to reach. So here's a rundown of the rest of the season. We are kicking off part four with a band that started it all, U2. And then we will be doing a very special episode on the relationship between Kendrick Lamar and Bono. After that is Mumford and & Sons and the Avett Brothers. And finally, we will be finishing off the season with two episodes on my all-time favorite band, Switchfoot. So this is it. We're in the home stretch now. It's going to be wild. I can't wait to share it with you all. I have a question, and you know it's coming, so I hope you're prepared. You ready for it? I've been thinking long and hard about this. It's a tough one. You ready? Okay. Are you ready for the hardest question that I'll ask you today? Yes, I guess so. Kind of. (laughs) What's your favorite song? So if you're one of the few that have stuck with me throughout this entire season, you're probably wondering why I'm asking every guest what their favorite song is. wonder no more. You see, a lot of this show is centered around the artist's relationship to the sacred and the secular. But the other half of the show is about the listener's relationship to the sacred and the secular. Specifically, how the artist can influence the listener's relationship. So when you ask someone what their favorite song is, you're getting a little glimpse at this relationship that they have with music. Two different people can have the exact same favorite song, but love it for completely opposite reasons. And even still, two different people can have different favorite songs for the exact same reasons. So does that make one interpretation right and the other wrong? Not at all. In fact, I think it may actually validate both more. So let's listen to a soundbite all the way back from episode one to help explain what I'm talking about. The word psalm literally means sacred song, and a definition for sacred is to be set apart. So in order for a song to become a psalm, it must first be set apart. And this setting apart is an action and a choice. So the question presents itself, who does this setting apart? Is it our society, our culture, our friends, or something else? So what actually is a psalm? Can we ourselves set apart our own songs and make them sacred? Can we draw our own lines between sacred and secular? If so, what does it mean to draw our own lines? So when we tell others of our favorite songs, we get to tell others how we are drawing our own lines. We get to tell others of what we think is sacred and worthy of being set apart. 
And the more we ask this question to each other, the more we can realize that the things people set apart are not always the same things, but the reasons that we choose to set them apart are often the same. And this realization is the freedom that is in part four for the listener. If we listen to all of our guests thus far describe the reasons why they love their favorite songs, we can start to hear this similar reason start to take shape. So let's listen to Marshall, Tram, Jack, and Nate describe their reasons for their favorite songs. That song was the first song that uh, just made me feel deeply and that I was like able just to sing repetitively and always like get back to that same feeling. And even now when I listen to it and sing it, it, it takes me back to that same feeling the first time I heard it. And it just connects with me in a really weird way because the lyrics aren't that relatable to my life necessarily, but something about the song is just deeply like impactful to me. Um, and yeah, it's been my favorite song ever since and it's beautiful. So why is it your favorite song? Well, I think I found it in high school, um, and I don't know, at that time I was like a broody, moody child, and <laughs> I feel like this song just encapsulated everything I was feeling at the time. Mm. Um, and you know, the the song actually, in my opinion, kind of evolves over time, and it, it just gets more meaning the older you grow up. And the reason for that was actually because Man, I want to say I was 17, 18 at the time, and I was in a church service, and they had one dude walk up on stage with a guitar, and he played Amazing Grace, and I was just sobbing the whole time. And so anytime I hear it, I go back to that moment immediately. Mm. So that's probably why it's my favorite. Because I have a lot of memories and kind of emotions tied up in that song, I feel like every time I listen to it, it brings some type of, you know, vivid emotion to me. I feel like it's that phenomenon where things, like certain emotions and stuff come back to you when you hear a song. Yeah, totally. And it takes you to a place. What we're hearing here is perhaps the reason we make something sacred is because it does something to us. It shapes us and helps us grow more into ourselves. This is the heart of the podcast. This is what a sacred song does for us. It shows us who we are and reminds us of who we've been. So if you remember, all the way back to episode one again, I told you that my favorite song is Kryptonite by Three Doors Down because of the nostalgic memory associated with it. Although that was true, I also kind of was lying to you. I can't really name one favorite song, and I bet you can't either. So in actuality, each of the songs that I have featured on the show throughout this year are my favorite songs. And I'm just giving you reasons why I love my favorite songs. So in essence, the Psalm Song Podcast can be summed up with one question. What's your favorite song?
Speaking of nostalgic memories that are associated with songs, this episode's band, U2, carries many nostalgic memories for me. U2 is by far my mother's favorite band. So when I was growing up and a U2 song would come on the radio, my mom would always ask me the question, what band is this? And even if I didn't know the song, I always knew the answer to that question was U2. And one of the first CDs I ever owned as a teenager was a U2 CD, borrowed from my mom, of course. It was U2's 10th studio album, titled All That You Can't Leave Behind. Every night, I would start my CD player and listen to songs like Beautiful Day and Elevation while I drifted off to sleep. So as you can see, U2 has been a big part of the development of my musical taste. Because of my mother's love for them, I slowly fell in love with them as well. One amazing fact about the band U2 is that it has always held its original four members since its conception. And these four members are Bono, the vocalist and rhythm guitar player, The Edge, a legendary guitarist, the bassist, Adam Clayton, and percussionist, Larry Mullen Jr. You see, these four friends formed their band in Dublin in high school in 1976. Four years later, their debut album, Boy, was released in 1980. And more than 40 years later, the band is still making music and is one of the few bands that has had a top-charting album in every decade since the 80s. Their 2009 to 2011 U2 360 tour was both the highest attended and highest grossing tour in concert history. So, chances are pretty high that you've probably heard of U2. Maybe you're one of the many, many people that hold them dear, and maybe you're one of the many, many people to have seen them on tour. In the summer of 2017, I got to see U2 perform live for their Joshua Tree tour. During this show, Bono was speaking about the refugee crisis in Syria and the horrific things that those people have had to endure. Before he started their next song, he said, There's no end to grief, but that's how we know that there's no end to love. And Bono was actually quoting lyrics from the song, California, There Is No End to Love which is the song that you're hearing in the background right now. But I didn't know that at the time. And funnily enough, that quote was the biggest thing that stuck with me from that show. Not a song, not the performance, just a sentence that sums up the resilience of you 2 perfectly. This sentiment of the endlessness of grief coexisting with the endlessness of love is strewn all throughout U2's 14 albums and Bono's life. I've seen for myself There's no end to grief That's how I know Whoa. 
In fact, if I were to choose one word to describe you two, I would choose the word resilient. The band has been perseverant with each other and has not broken up or changed members. They have been resilient with their genre and have managed to reinvent themselves all without losing sight of the essence of their sound. But most importantly, Bono's lyrics portray an incredible resilience to the seemingly endless curveballs that life throws us. Bono continually chooses to be hopeful and optimistic when he has had countless of reasons to be just the opposite. A great example of this resilience is in the song 40 from their 1983 album, War. This track is the closing track of the album, and the lyrics are pulled straight from Psalm 40. Hold up. Let's pause just for a moment. What we have here for the 15th episode of this podcast is both a psalm and a song, literally. So I guess this makes this episode the quote-unquote title track of the podcast. That's all. I just wanted to nerd out a little bit about that for a minute. Now back to our regularly scheduled programming. Sing the song with me, this is sporty. Psalm 40 is 17 verses long, but U2's 40 pulls straight from only the first four verses. To demonstrate how similar they are, I'll read both in their entirety back to back. Here is Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song on my mouth a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put trust in him. Now here is 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay. I will sing, sing a new song. How long to sing this song? You set my feet upon a rock and made my footsteps firm. Many will see many will see and fear. And that's it. That's the entirety of U2's anthem, 40. The chorus, I will sing a new song and how long to sing this song, are endlessly repeated until the album ends. So what is it that makes this song so powerful over 30 years after it was composed? Why should Bono sing David's dusty words? And why should Bono sing his own dusty words? The answer to this question lies in the one difference between David's version and Bono's version. On initial reading of the psalm, there is a certain passivity to it. There's a very deep gratefulness that David has toward God, but at the same time, the only one doing any action in Psalm 40 is the Lord himself. But in contrast, what makes Bono's rendition so powerful is that he reveals the agency that is missing from David's words. In 40, Bono sings, I will sing a new song. Rather than David singing, he put a song in my mouth. In 40, the song belongs to Bono. And in Psalm 40, the song belongs to God. But even if the song was put into the singer's mouth, the singer still has to choose to sing it and say it out loud. 
That is why the simple phrase of I will sing a new song is so powerful because it shows a resilience toward the chaos. In the face of despair and suffering, and in the midst of waiting patiently for the Lord, you still must choose peace over panic. But what about the one line that Bono adds into his version? He says and repeats, how long to sing this song? In this one line, Bono is showing us that he is growing tired of waiting for the Lord and wants him to give him yet another song. And yet, he sings, I will sing a new song right after. Bono is choosing yet again to sing a new song. So in these two lines, a sort of tired hope is at the center of the song. In 40, Bono shows us that patience and doubt are not mutually exclusive things. Bono shows us that the song belongs completely to us, but at the same time, the psalm belongs completely to the Lord. Bono is showing us that both agency and structure are present in the singing of a psalm and a song. So the next time your life devolves into chaos, like it always does, remember that choosing to sing a new song and asking how long until the next song can happen simultaneously. In the chaos, we all can learn from Bono and remember that endless love is always present because of endless grief and not in spite of it. In the many tours that U2 has been on, a tradition has emerged with this song, 40. It is often the last song that the band plays before everyone heads home. But as everyone is walking to their cars and going their separate ways, they are all still singing these two lines. So I offer the same encouragement to you. Repeat these lines to yourself as you do laundry on Sunday. Repeat these lines to yourself as you make dinner for one tonight. Repeat these lines as you laugh with a new friend. Repeat these lines as you cry with an old friend. Repeat these lines right before you fall asleep at night and right when you wake up in the morning. Sing, sing a new song, my friends. But don't be afraid to ask how long you should sing it. And as always, may you find endless grace and peace in your endless chaos and grief. Until next time. It's the Psalm Song Podcast. I waited patiently for the Lord He inclined and heard my cry He lifted me up out of the pit i
Oh. 